The man known for his expertise in the scripture. Speak to those who know him well, and you'll hear repeatedly what a gifted expositor of the word of God he is. Take a look at his Bible if you get a chance. You will see this is not one that sits on a shelf. You're about to experience his gifts for yourself over the next couple of days. He is the pastor of Calvary Christian Tabernacle in Longview, Texas. We're honored to have him, his wife, his twin daughter, their twin daughters, Mallory and Kaylee, and their son Cass with us this week. We're about to be blessed, folks, because the man of God is going to take us to God's Word. That's a good thing. Would you stand with me today and join me as we welcome to the Missouri Conference God's servant, Brother Charles Charquois. Can we give that up to the Lord today? Hallelujah. Come on, if he's been good to you, would you give him a great ovation of praise? Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord today. Come on, our God is great and greatly to be praised. Thank you, Pastor Graham, for a very warm introduction, and thank you for all of the kindness and the warmth that my family and I have been able and privileged to experience since we arrived in Missouri. And I give honor today to our district superintendent, Brother Graham, and our district secretary, Brother Parkey, our general assistant general superintendent, Brother Stan Gleason. Good to be in the house of the Lord with you today. And all the officials and all of the district board responsible for this invitation. The Huckabee, I love you. It's good to be in the house of the Lord with you today. I do want to take a moment and, and thank you for the trust that is inherent in this invitation. I do not take it lightly. I give honor to my wife and children, their friends that are here today. I want to go to the Lord of the Lord today. Please do not misinterpret the heaviness of my heart for sadness. But I believe that we're living in the end time. And I believe that if we're going to have the harvest that God has promised the Pentecostal church, we're going to have to see what this camp meeting stands for. We're going to have to see people restored, and we're going to have to see saints revived. I want somebody to give the Lord an ovation of praise today, saying God is well able to do exceedingly and abundantly above anything that we could think or ask. The book of Luke, the 15th chapter. The book of Luke, the 15th chapter. The 11th verse, and he said, A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. Wanted to get as far away from the father and the father's house as possible. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. And he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine, and he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came unto himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. 
and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. Let us be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. When I looked at the three words that represent the essence of this camp meeting, restore, reveal, revive, they all begin with the prefix re. And re's meaning is very simple. Again. This, my son, which was dead, is alive again. How many of you know someone away from God? Would you raise a hand? How many of you have someone close to you away from God? Would you lift that hand? And if you would like to see them come back to life, would you put those hands together and magnify the one true God who can do so? Thank you. You may be seated. I was not raised in Pentecost. And so 10 years ago when they asked if I would allow my name to run for pastor in Calvary Tabernacle in Longview, Texas, I prayed about it. And in my time of pastoring, I began to see people removing things from our doctrine and replacing them with other things that were charismatic. And the Lord told me, he said, Charles, I don't want you removing anything. And I don't want you replacing anything. I want you to revisit some things. And God allowed me to revisit this idea that we call revival. And as I began to look at the Word of God, he said, I'm not sent to any but the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And a few chapters later, when he sent his disciple, he said, I don't want you to go into the way of the Gentiles. He said, but you go first to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And I began to pray, and I said, God, that seems a little bit selective. It seems a little exclusive. What about evangelism? What about these people who said that some people don't have a right to hear the gospel the second time when there's others who haven't heard it for the first time? God said to go to the church, and the night that he gave me this message, he told me to ask everyone there who had a child or a grandchild to stand. And I would like you to to stand with me this morning. If you have a child, would you stand in this house? 
If you are a child, would you stand in this house? Look around. It's a house filled. And the Lord said to ask them, if one of your children went missing and you went to the police station to report your child was missing and the police said, oh, I'm sorry, I don't have time to go look for your child. But you know there's an orphanage right next door. Why don't you go pick up one or two of them? Why don't you go get two or three of them? I want to know in the sight of God and the presence of the Holy Ghost, how many people in here would say, but I want my child back. I want the child that bears my likeness and my image and my name. I want the one that shares my bloodline and is going to carry me into tomorrow. I want to know how many people would demand, I'm sorry, but I don't want simply to replace my children. I want to recover my children. I want to come to this camp meeting and tell somebody in the fear of God, revival was never intended to replace God's children. Its sole intention is to recover. God's children. If anybody wants to see him recovered, could you please give God an ovation of praise today? Bring them home, God. Bring them home, God. Bring them home. You may be seated. I cannot imagine parents whose child went missing. Saying, well, you know, we're young. We'll just have a few more kids. Those parents would be deemed unfit. Revival is where you bring life back into something that was already born. Evangelism is the method through which they're born again. Revival is the means by which we bring them back to life. I began to ask the Lord. He said, I don't want you to ever use revival to replace my children. Don't you ever look up and say, well, that's all right. We'll just pray ten more through to replace the one we lost. You know, If we can't be honest, we shouldn't profess to have the truth. But I'm going to say it one more time. If we don't care about those with whom we share an apostolic bloodline, we'll never convince God we care about those with whom we don't. God said to whatever degree, now maybe this is just me, and you forgive me if I'm wrong, but God told me, He said, son, to whatever degree you refuse to have an emergency room for my children, I will shut the maternity ward of this church up. I want God to send mighty evangelism, but it begins with mighty revival. I want God to send new babies, but it restores, it starts with him bringing his babies home. I want to know, does anybody want your kids back enough to stand and give God an ovation of praise? Is there anybody in this house that says, I want them back. Bring them home. Come on, somebody. They belong in God's house. They don't belong in a hog pen. They belong to God. They don't belong to the world.
Today we read a story about a prodigal coming home. The amazing thing about this young man is he's serious about salvation. He's more serious about being saved after having gone to the hog pen than he was growing up in the father's house. Sometimes it takes a mountain. Sometimes it takes a hog pen. Oh, maybe I ought to clarify. You see, it's too easy to label them all backsliders. If you're not in the house of God, you're a backslider. If you're away from the Lord, you're a backslider. If you're not where you ought to be, you're a backslider. Well, I don't know. Mary and Joseph lost, lost track of Jesus for about three or four days. I wouldn't call him a backslider. You know, there's some people that are just Mephibosheths. They just got dropped. You know, there's some prodigals that love the father. They just couldn't take an elder brother. There's some lost coins. They just never found their worth. Lost sheep. They just wandered away when the pastor was battling devils and wolves in sheep's clothing. There's a few Saul's of Tarsus, those people that love where the church has been and hate where the church is going. God said that for every Mephibosheth, if you're going to have revival, you've got to have some ambassadors. The ambassadors represent the sovereign of one nation to the sovereign of another. An ambassador is somebody that presents, that represents and presents the sovereign Savior to a sovereign soul. And to every Mephibosheth, we are to present Jesus Christ as the kind king that wants him back at the banquet table. To every lost coin, we are to present him as their redeemer. To every lost sheep, he is the chief shepherd. And to every prodigal son, he's the heavenly father that wants them back in the house. I want to know today, before this message is over, would somebody be willing to say, my level of involvement needs to extend past being on a platform or, or having my voice echoed through a microphone or, or being behind a pulpit. I want to know, was there anybody willing to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ today and to present him as a kind king, present him as a heavenly father, present him as the chief shepherd. Today we talk about a son who's far, far away, got as far away from the house as he possibly could. And today I celebrate the fact that there are four gifts that are waiting for the boy when he comes home. The first gift is the robe and the ring the shoes, and the fatted calf. But you know, there is a fifth gift without which the other four gifts mean nothing. There is a fifth gift, and it is not the gift of the boy repenting in the hog pen. It is not the gift of the boy reciting that repentance when he gets back to the house. There is a fifth gift that is so imperative to the life of 
the prodigal. The fifth gift that he came home to was a healthy father. Oh, we don't think about that first night when dad's sitting there and the kid's gone away. Dad's sitting there thinking, did I do the right thing? Did I make a mistake? Was I too hard on him? Was I too easy on him? Did I make some kind of mistake? Was there an error that I made? But you see, for the the hope of the son rested in the health of the father. The life of the son depended entirely upon the health of the father. Let me point it out. Can you imagine, can you imagine, Brother Gleason, the prodigal finally making it home? Busting through the back door. Dad. Daddy, I'm home. I'm home, Dad. I'm home. Daddy, I'm sorry I ever left. Daddy, I made a mistake. Daddy, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Would you just make me as one of your servants? How would you feel if it was your child calling your name? Mama, Daddy, I'm home. Can you imagine what would have happened? The elder brother come around the corner to meet him. Daddy. You're talking about daddy. Man, daddy died brokenhearted, son. You ripped daddy's heart out. Daddy's in a crack house. Daddy gave up. Daddy died in a nursing home. But you see, that's not what the boy came home to. That boy came home to a daddy that was healthy. That boy came home to a daddy that was whole. That boy came home to a daddy that was praying. That boy came home to a daddy that was believing. That boy came home to a daddy that had been fasting. That boy came home to a daddy that been looking through the eyes of faith. That boy came home to find his daddy alive and well. Calvary, I mean, sorry, church, we got to make sure the Holy Ghost is alive and well. In every church we attend, every church we pastor, my Lord, there's coming a famine in the land. It's coming for the hearing of the word of the Lord. You get ready. God is about to bring particles back from the north, the south, the east, and the west. Now's not the time to be compromising. Now's not the time to be dejected. Now's not the time to be slump-shouldered. Now's not the time to be Laodicean. It's time for God to revive the fire of the Holy Ghost inside of every one of us to get ready to be healthy when the prodigal comes home. There's a few ways that it is evident that that father was healthy. I want y'all to bear with me. I'm from South Louisiana too, and Louisiana was polled the happiest state in the union. I think they polled them during Mardi Gras. I'll tell you what, in Louisiana, you can be assured of one thing: these are drunk on new wine. 
But I wasn't raised in Pentecost, so I don't know what not to say, so y'all bear with me. But the first way that I see that that daddy was healthy is he was healthy doctrinally. Am I in a Pentecostal church service today? He was healthy doctrinally. He didn't say, well, if it's a hog pen the boy wants, we'll just turn the house into a hog pen. I, I, I hate to be this carnal. But there's a song, old country western song. The wife got tired of the husband always spending the paycheck in a bar room somewhere. So she, she told him, she said, honey, I'm going to hire a wino to decorate our home. So you'll feel more at ease here. And you won't need to roam. We'll take out the dining room table. Put a bar along that wall, and a neon sign will point our way to the bathroom down the hall. If the boy wanted a hog pen in the house, he would never have left the hog pen in the first place. Somebody help me. Don't let the devil lie to you. Don't turn the church into a bar room. Just because a prodigal gets in the world doesn't mean we need to bring the world into the church to win them back. God knows how to bring them to a place of repentance. God knows how to send conviction. God knows how to get a hold of their heart. They need to come back to a home that's whole and healthy and full of the Holy Ghost and an uncompromised doctrine. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Somebody shout yes. Can you imagine leaving the world? And coming home and finding the world in the church. Can you imagine saying, Dad saying, well, I thought that's what you wanted. You see, we, we, we interrupt this morning's regularly scheduled message to bring you this urgent bulletin. You see, I'm aware that Pentecost grew accustomed to weathering the persecution. You know, holy roller, didn't fit in, swimming, well, I should say nearly drowning in your jeans and calling it swimming. It's amazing. Okay. But the devil is taking another tactic against Pentecost. He figured if he couldn't beat us with persecution, he's changing a tactic, and it's now all about seduction, seducing spirits in the last days. You see, Americans love something that will change how they feel. We spend 
I think, $57 billion a year on alcohol. We love something that will change how we feel. We spend a certain billion number of dollars a year on illegal drugs and a certain number of billions a year on prescription drugs. And somehow or another, it's getting in people's mind that they come to church for God to change how they feel. But the bottom line is we come to church for God to change who we are, where a prodigal becomes a heavenly son, where a prodigal becomes a saint. Oh, somebody help me right now. I want you to stand to your feet and give God a hand of praise. And I want you to say, God, change who I am. I'm sorry I'm not in that world. I don't come to church for somebody to tickle my ears. I don't come to church for somebody to change how I feel. I come to church for God to change who I am. Man, I failed out of LSU three times. I lost my mom when I was 26, my dad when I was four years old. Man, I failed. I failed a lot. The first time you fail out of college, they say, well, you know, everybody has a bad semester. The second time you fail out of college, they say, well, you know, college isn't for everybody. You pick me right up there, pal. You ought to go into motivational speaking instead of college counseling. I mean, I only struck out twice. I mean, shouldn't I get three strikes? I mean, come on, help me here. Well, that wouldn't have done me much good because I failed out a third time. And the third time I failed out, the counselor, I won't mention his last name, but his name is Kurt. He said, Charles, you really need to quit applying. You're costing the taxpayers too much money. So a few years later, I walked into a a healthy Pentecostal church where the fire still fell and baptismal waters was still ready and the altars were still full and I repented of my sins and I was baptized in Jesus name I received the gift of the Holy Ghost and I ran into somebody from Baton Rouge a couple of three years ago and and they said man I heard you're a Pentecostal pastor how'd that happen I was raised Catholic how'd that happen I said well I went to this Pentecostal church, and I had a very profound spiritual experience. They said, well, you know, Charles, it's not unusual for Catholics to to go to those kinds of churches and have, you know, some kind of emotional experience. I said, well, with all due respect, there was an emotional component to what happened to me. Man, I wept when I repented, and I wept when I was baptized. Man, I wept when I got that Holy Ghost. I said, but there was more to it to that. He said, well, what is there, Brother Willoughby? I give you honor today. He said, what else is there? I said, well, my experience wasn't just emotional. It was transformational. 
He said, well, can you substantiate that? I said, I sure can. I have a set of transcripts from Louisiana State University where I failed out of college three times, and I have three other transcripts from Kilgore College, St. Edwards University, and Texas State where I was able to go back to school with a near-perfect recall, photographic memory, finish a master's degree with a 4.0. Honey, you came too late to tell me this is all about emotion. This is a transformational. This will take the sinner and turn him into a saint. This will take somebody that's falling away. It will restore them back to the house of God. It will take somebody that's dead and bring them back to life. It will take somebody falling away. It will graft them back in. Daddy comes home and he's physically healthy. He's not saying, wow, the kid wants a hog pen. Y'all, let's turn the house into a hog pen. He didn't say, well, we got so many of them going to the world. Maybe if we made the church more worldly, wouldn't nobody want to leave? Man, I'm going to tell you what, I got delivered in a Pentecostal church. I'm unapologetically apostolic. Man, my life got real good when I got the Holy Ghost. I'm living a life I never would have lived otherwise. Man, I'm just, it's unbelievable. And I, you know, I remember, I'll just throw this in for good measure. I had a horrible job when I transferred to Longview. I worked at a cafeteria five years like I was serving time for a crime I didn't commit. I'm pretty sure if you'd have shaved the back of my boss's head, it'd have said 665. <laughs> that little booger was a digit shy of the devil himself. <laughs> but let me tell you, when I got the Holy Ghost... God set me free. He put me on the path to his will and to his glory. He started developing a potential inside of me to the fulfillment of his will. I'm telling you, don't turn the house into a hog pen. Keep the house holy. Keep the truth real. Keep the doctrine pure. Come on, somebody. They're coming home. They'll come from the north and the south and the east and the west. God can't say, I came that none should perish. I came first to the Lord sheep of the house. If you're away from God, you're a priority today. What I love about that dad is he was doctrinally healthy and he was spiritually healthy. Can you imagine running around town? It had to be a small town. Sir, I need you to make a robe for me if you would. Oh, is that for you? elder son that stayed in the house oh no sir that's for my boy in the hog pit uh excuse me sir i need you to if you don't mind i'd, I'd like for you to make me some sandals is that for you is that for your elder son stayed in the house no sir in fact that's for my boy he's in a hog pit uh, excuse me uh, sir if, if you don't mind, could I get you to make me a ring, a sigma of my power and my authority? 
Sir, is, is that for your eldest son that's in the house? Oh, no, sir. If you don't mind, that would be from a prodigal down there in that hall pen somewhere. Sir, uh, if you don't mind, I need you to start fattening me up a calf. Really, you're going to reward that elder? No, sir, that's from my boy. He's down in a hall pen somewhere. We've got to be spiritually healthy if we're going to be prepared for when they come home. I want somebody to hear in the Holy Ghost, quit praying that they'll come back and start preparing for them to come back. Somebody make up your mind. It's time to get the robe and the ring. You may look like a nut going around here, but looking like a nut is what we call faith. I believe it's the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. I need to get some robe weavers in the house. I need to get some sandal makers in the house. I need some ring makers in the house. I need some calf fatness in the house. Somebody shout yes. And I feel a Holy Ghost in this house. I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't start pouring into churches by this weekend. Hallelujah. And God said when, when the churches change how we see them, he said, I'm going to change how they see the church. Daddy is doctrinally healthy, and the daddy is spiritually healthy. And the daddy is visually healthy. You see, that boy said, I'm going to rise and go to my father. He arose, and he came to his father. He was yet a great way off. His father saw him. What's that? He saw him. He's looking through the eyes of faith. He didn't just have enough spirituality to say, man, I got to do more than pray. I need to prepare. Let me tell you all something. God can do anything, but he ain't going to do everything. Somebody's got to get to making some robes, ring sandals in that fatty calf. And that daddy was healthy visually. You know how I know? When he was a great way off. My Lord, that man wasn't blinded by grief. He somehow or another heard that Jesus came to preach recovering a sight to the blind. If you've been blinded by a broken heart, I speak recovering of the sight to the blind to you right now. I speak to your sight and say, be thou healed. I say unto thy sight, get ready to start looking down that old dusty road. I say unto thee, stand and begin to look out over that horizon. You're about to see your babies coming home. You're about to see your children coming back. Come on, somebody. If we don't care enough about those that share an apostolic bloodline. Don't think we're going to convince God we care about those with whom we don't. I want to know, is anybody want God's babies back in the house? I'm hurrying. The Bible said that he was physically healthy. Bible said that he said when he was a great way off his father saw him he had compassion and ran he's physically healthy enough to look out and say that's my boy coming that ain't the mailman that ain't my neighbor that's my boy coming 
And he had so plugged in that he was physically healthy enough to run where he was. And you see the beauty of his vision and the reason we got to be healthy is he realized if I don't run to where he is, he'll never get to where I am. If we're going to put the shoes on the prodigal's feet, we best get some running shoes on our own feet. It's the one reason that the daddy is willing to leave the house, and that's to make sure you get back in it. I want to know, does anybody glad that when you're on your way home, God's willing to meet you halfway? Yeah. Yeah. We could have said, the last thing is, musicians come, I'm closing. But he was also, he had compassion. He fell upon his neck. You know what he didn't say? Well, bless God, he left this house. If he wants to come home, let him come on his own. Let him crawl on his belly. Let him walk back in here the way he walked out. Oh, you ain't so cocky now. We oftentimes ask ourselves, how can God have that kind of compassion? How could a prodigal father have that much compassion? I'm going out on a limb here. I believe the daddy was angrier with the devil than he was with his boy. You see, sometimes we forget in that Garden of Eden, God said, you know, you can eat of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's the one they ate of. And Excuse me, but I don't ever see where they get a a stomach ache. I don't see where they ever say, man, you got any Tums in here? See, I believe that I don't think the Garden of Eden was simply man's first chance. If we're honest today, the Garden of Eden was actually the devil's second chance. Believe that when Adam and Eve began to talk to the serpent in a tree, who, by the way, had not fallen as far as he could, that moment the devil is suspended somewhere between heaven and earth. He hadn't hit rock bottom yet. And I believe that God said, shh, shh, Lucifer's fixing to say something. I want to see, is my old choir director, is he remorseful at all? Does he miss me at all? Is there any longing for the days he used to direct the choir? How can you possibly say that, Brother Shorgwa? And I'll tell you what God said. How could God ever be called the God of mercy and grace to two-thirds of the angels that were still there if he didn't extend mercy or grace to a millennial angel that had served him indefinitely? Shh. Lucifer's fixing to speak. Lucifer's fixing to say something. And instead of hissing and saying, whatever you do, don't hurt him the way I hurt him. Don't disappoint him 
the way I disappointed him. Don't break his heart the way I broke his heart. Instead, he tries to lure them into sin. And he tries to wait and see as grief indelibly writes across the brow of God an additional pain and sorrow. And you don't just find the devil failing that second chance in the garden. He goes to Job and has nothing complimentary. And he goes to Jesus in the wilderness and he's unrepentant. And any time God sees his children deceived, the first thing he does, he says, I will bring judgment unto truth. And if you and I would have sinned in the garden of Eden without the devil saying something, if God tells you and I to do something and we we willingly do it. If you tell your kids not to do something and they willingly do it, they got to deal with you when they get home. But if somebody older than my kids, wiser than my kids, somebody that hates my guts, deceives my kids, I'm going to do what God did. Y'all come sit over here. I got a devil I got to deal with. Man, I hoped it wouldn't come to this. But Adam and Eve, it just so happens I got a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. I'm not going to condone what you did, but I'm not going to condemn you for what you did. I'm going to cover you for what you did. And at that moment, my God, it was against the backdrop of flaming cherubim that the Lord our God took a needle and thread and began to sew a garment that would cover Adam and Eve. How could he have compassion? He said, I'm not going to condone what you did, son. I'm not going to condemn you either. A healthy father covers, and I believe that grace doth cover a multitude of sins. The Bible tells us that the boy was able to come home and what he recited in the house, the hog pen he repeated in the house. And the father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. The father at that moment was angrier with a devil that deceived his son than he was with his son for being deceived. How in the world do Adam and Eve stay married, Brother Gleason? They were angrier with the devil than they were with one another. How do they survive Cain slaying Abel and go on to have Seth? They were angrier with the devil than they were with one another. How does Peter preach the day of Pentecost? God was angrier with the devil than he was with Peter. Somebody hear me right now. We've got to get back to the point that the devil's not on a sabbatical. He's still walking around as a roaring lion. He still, the Bible said, takes some captive in his will. But I want to say to somebody, devil, you're a liar. I've got every right to come home. My children have every right to pray back through. My children have every right to receive a robe, a ring, sandals, and a fatty calf. If you're willing to celebrate and rejoice over every son that is revived, would you stand to your feet and give God an ovation of praise right now? If you're willing to get excited... Daddy was parentally healthy. He stood up to an elder brother who knew where his brother was the whole time, but just too cold or callous to ever go to where he was. He said, this, my son was dead and he's alive again. I've come to tell somebody in this house, you've already felt it in this service. You didn't respond to it. You didn't run to the altar. 
There's a God in heaven who ran to where you were today. There's a God in heaven who reached out for you. He, he left this platform a long time ago. He left from among this congregation. And he has gone to where you are. And he has grabbed a hold of your heartstrings. And he's letting you know you are in not only a church named the sanctuary, you're in a church that is a sanctuary today. You're in a safe place. You're a place where you can be revived and you can be restored. I'm telling you, you are surrounded by forgiving brethren and a loving father. You're around ministers who will go the extra mile to make sure that you are restored in the name of Jesus. I want to know, is there anybody willing to say, you know what, Brother Chargua, I'm willing to make sure that I am a sandal maker. I'm willing to be a ring maker. And if you are, would you come running down to this front right now and let somebody know that before they get to the house, there's already prayer, there's already preparation, and there's already provision. I'm talking about the power of the Holy Ghost to bring somebody back to life. I'm talking about the power of the Holy Ghost to restore. I'm talking about a God who said, I'm going to restore the years the locust had eaten and the canker worm. I'm going to reach out to where you are and I'm going to turn the sun back 15 degrees. If I've got to add 15 years to your life, come on, pastor. you got to be healthier than you've ever been before. Come on, if we're going to see end time revival, we got to be healthier than we've ever been before I want you to speak a word of health to every evangelist I want you to speak a word of health to every pastor I speak a word of health right now to every minister I speak health to every person in this church right now if we're going to see them saved we got to be healthy if we're going to see them come home we got to be healthy the hope of the boy is the health of the father Come on, the life of the son is depending upon the health of that pastor and the health of that church. Don't you apologize for being healthy. Don't you apologize for being revived today. Come on, somebody, and pray for your neighbor all over this house. Begin to pray ye one for another. Come on, we got to be healthy enough for the prodigals to come home. We got to be healthy enough to run where they are. We got to be healthy enough to make provision in the house. Come on, would you begin to pray right now? I know it wounds us when people leave us, but we got to be healthier than that. Come on, I need you to take your neighbor by the hand right now. Come on, if we're going to really have revival, shout out a little We got to be healthy. If we're going to have revival, we got to be healthy. Come on, I know it's a wounding. I, I know the wounding can become an infection. But we got to be healed today. There's a balm in Gilead. I speak health to your mind right now. Come on, you got to be mentally healthy right now. She got up my show hold on more close
Come on, with eyes closed and hands raised across this house. God, heal me right now. Come on, if you've ever been healed, if you've ever been wounded by rejection, I want you to pray, God, heal me right now. Come on, as they continue to sing, I've got to be healthy enough to run to where they are. Come on, God is not going to give you evangelism and replacement of revival. He's not going to circumvent his own. He said, I came only to the lost sheep of the house. Come on. In the name of Jesus. Come on, if you've ever been rejected, God, heal me. Come on, pastors, you ever had anybody walk away? God, heal me. Come on, you got to be healthy when they come home. i got to be mentally healthy, doctrinally healthy, emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy. 